Hey, good evening and welcome. Welcome back to another week of BSF. This week we're going to be in Genesis 24, looking at God's miraculous provision of a wife for Isaac. Let me pray for us and we'll get right into the text. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we've had this week to consider your word, to study your word, and to think about how your character, the way that you work in the lives of your people is relevant for us today. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with us as we seek to grapple with and wrestle with this great passage from the book of Genesis. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think one of the things that I've struggled with in my walk with the Lord is when I'm facing a big decision, when I'm grappling with a big decision, I would love to have more clarity from God. Right, So I'm trying to decide where to go to college, or I'm trying to decide, is this job the right job, or is this opportunity the right opportunity, or should I ask this girl on a date? This is obviously from my past, being married now. But when we're grappling with those big questions in life, we would love to have, have God kind of reach down into history and say, this is the thing that I want you to do. When we, when we look at some of the great characters in the Bible and we think of when God called Moses and he appeared to Moses in the burning bush, there was really no question. There was no doubt in Moses' mind, what am I supposed to do? Uh, or perhaps if you look at the book of Isaiah and you consider God's call of Isaiah, where God miraculously appeared in a vision and Isaiah saw the Lord in the temple and there was smoke and earthquaking, or, or maybe uh, Paul's miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus. Maybe if I could have that, that would help me discern the right way to go. Where there's, I'm blind for a few days, there's bright lights, there's a voice from heaven, uh, or, or maybe even a, a, a lesser version Maybe something like John had when Jesus appeared to him and he wrote the book of Revelation. Perhaps that would give us an understanding of what God's will is for us. It would be great if God would appear to you or to me and say, Brett, leave your family and your father's household and go to college in Illinois at a school called Wheaton College. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if that was the way that God would interact with us? It would be so much clearer, so much simpler. Uh, But in God's wisdom and in his way, uh, he doesn't always do that. Certainly we can look at scripture and we can find events of when God did interact with certain people in miraculous ways. But most of the time, the way that we see God working is much like we're going to see him working in Genesis 24. You know, as we look at Genesis 24, there's no big wow miracles. Uh, the servant didn't have to cross the Red Sea and have God part it on his way to find a wife for Isaac. There's the normal everyday events of travel, of drinking, of eating, of meeting with families. And, and still we see, as we look at this whole passage, we see the way that God was superintending these every event of Abraham's servant was was carefully under the control of the sovereign Lord of the universe. And so I think our big lesson this week is that we can see, we can learn that God works through the everyday lives of his people. God works 
through the everyday lives of his people. We're going to be in Genesis 24. It's it's one of the longer chapters in Genesis, maybe not the longest, but it's a very long story. If we look at the other accounts that we've had, other events that have happened, even last week, the sacrifice of Isaac, it, it was quick. It was not a lot of verses. We have you know over 60 verses, 67 verses in Genesis 24 that are helping us to understand the way that God worked to help Abraham's servant accomplish his mission. We're going to look at the passage in two parts. We're going to look at one through nine. We're going to look at the mission, the mission that Abraham lays onto his servant. And then we're going to look at the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 10 all the way to the end. And we're going to see how God uh, brings about the, the, the mission accomplished. There's three parts of the mission. There's finding the girl, convincing the family, and getting back home. So we're going to look at the mission, uh, the, 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 the oath, the, the mission that's given to the servant, and then we're going to see how God accomplished that mission uh, in the latter half of the passage. So get your Bibles out. We're in Genesis 24. And one of the things that's so different about this section is the way that it starts. It's very different than some of the other passages that we've had in Abraham's life. A lot of times, God shows up and starts talking to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I want you to leave the land that you're in. Abraham, uh, I want you to go out and sacrifice your son. Abraham, I'm, I'm getting ready to go down into the, the, the valley of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and do this thing. Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. We, we've seen many times God has appeared and spoken with Abraham. We don't see that in chapter 24. We just learn Abraham was old. He was well advanced in years. The Lord had blessed him. And we see Abraham reaching out to a very trusted servant. We don't know his name. We don't know who it is. We could speculate. We could guess. But the reality is, is that this servant's identity was bound to his relationship to Abraham. He was obviously well trusted. He was Abraham's best guy. He was in charge of everything that Abraham had. So he could write checks on behalf of his wealthy master. Uh, When he spoke to people, when he interacted with people, he had the full power of Abraham behind him. And he's given a big job. He's given a big responsibility. He's, He's asked to make an oath not just, you know, not just an oath to Abraham, but Abraham says that this oath is going to be made in the presence or he's going to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. So this is a serious ask that Abraham is making. He's essentially saying, you're going to find a wife for my son and you're not going to find it from the surrounding people groups, the surrounding countryside, maybe all the people that you're used to working with as a part of your day to day, not there. But again, you're going to find a son for a a wife, for Isaac, and you're going to go on a thousand mile round trip uh, to do this. And so it's a big ask. It's a big mission. It's a big quest. And there's really, if we look at Abraham's words, there's two major points that that comprise the oath that, that Abraham has his servant take. First of all, Isaac is supposed to remain in the land. Under no circumstances is, is Isaac going to leave. Now, it's interesting to think about Isaac not leaving, but Abraham didn't want to leave either. Abraham probably hasn't seen his family back in Mesopotamia for over 30 years. Now, there was some method of communication. It wasn't email. It certainly wasn't uh, anything that happened very fast. But at the end of Genesis 22, Abraham received word 
that there were children and families that had been born to his brother, whose name was Nahor. So we know that there's some method of communication. Abraham had some way to stay in touch, but we have no record of Abraham making any attempt to visit with or get in touch with uh, the people that are back in Mesopotamia. God had sent Abraham to this land, to the land of Canaan, and Abraham believed and trusted God. And so this was where Abraham was going to stay. He was not going to go back and try to obtain a wife for Isaac. He was going to send his delegate, and he was going to make sure that that delegate would not draw or allow Isaac to leave the land. The second part of the oath is that Isaac's wife was not to be from the surrounding people groups, a Canaanite. Uh, Isaac was going to need a wife, right? If Abraham was going to be made into a great nation, there would need to be a continued presence of offspring. So just as Abraham had had Isaac, Isaac was going to need to have children and so on so that God's promise could be fulfilled. Now, we also know that God is not merely interested in results. We saw this with Abraham and Hagar. Abraham and Hagar produced a child. They produced an offspring. But the method, the process matters to God. And so even though Abraham had Ishmael with Hagar, this was not the process or the method that God had in mind. Somehow, God had revealed to Abraham that the method that the process that he would go through to obtain a wife for Isaac was going to be from Nahor's family. There may have been earthly options that were easier, closer, simpler, uh, but the reality was is that Abraham had learned over his walk with the Lord that the best approach was to trust God and be obedient. And somehow that meant Abraham was going to go look for a wife for his son Isaac among his original family, his original people. Now, Abraham reminded the servant as he went out, as we look down in chapter 7, that this is something that that God, God must have wanted this because God was going to superintend it. Abraham told his servant that uh, I will, that God will send his angel. Uh, God will send his representative before you. And he will make sure that these events come to pass. And so we, we learn that God is somehow intimately going to be involved, even though this chapter does not begin with God speaking to Abraham and, and sort of us as the audience knowing what's going to be going on. But God is going to be involved in this process. God is going to help the servant accomplish this mission. And the principle for these first nine verses is that God will provide what his people need to accomplish their mission. God will provide what his people, what we need to accomplish our mission. So I think Vicky Vicky mentioned in the introduction last week, this family camp out we went on in December. Now we had to get ready to go out onto the trail. We had to get out all of our camping gear and begin to sort through it and decide what are we going to take. We're taking everything in our backpacks. So every every time you decided to take a certain item with you, it meant that it was going to take up space and it was going to take up weight. So we couldn't bring the whole house. We couldn't even bring all of our camping gear. And you had to, to sort of look at this item and decide... Do I think I'm going to need it? Now, we didn't necessarily know what was awaiting us on the trail, but you know, if you're looking at a certain item, you might think to yourself, well, if it never rains or uh, if we don't get attacked by bears or if the temperature stays above 25, I'm not going to need it. 
But if those things do happen, or if there's a chance they're going to happen, I'm going to definitely want to have it with me. So we, we, we operate in our own preparation, in our own method of packing and preparing, we operate with limited insight. We have limited foresight as to what's going to happen to us. We don't know in the simplest way if it's going to rain or if it's going to shine or if it's going to be cold or warm. We, we sort of have to guess. We have to take our, our best guess and decide how do we individually prepare to go out on a journey or go on a trip. Well, when God sends us out, when God sends his people out, he knows exactly what is in store for us. He knows exactly what we will face, and he is able to provide it for us. Now, God is not limited to saying, you know, Brett, take your warm coat, or it's going to be cold, or, you know, you might need to take some extra food. Uh, God can certainly provide for our material needs, and we've seen many times in the pages of Genesis when God has provided for the material needs of his people. Uh, we packed up our sleeping bags and our tents and the food that we thought we needed, and we went out and we journeyed on the trail. But when Vicky told the story last week, you know what what she and I needed on the trail was you know fortitude. Uh, we needed energy. We needed perseverance to keep going. And the reality is is that God not only can provide for His people's material needs, He can provide those less material things as well. He can provide all things that his people will need to accomplish the work that he has in front of us. Clearly, God was sending out Abraham's servant to go and find a wife for Isaac. And in the same way, God has work for all of us to do. Uh, we aren't we aren't called to be a part of God's family. We aren't called to be servants of Jesus Christ just so we can sit around and do nothing. God has work for us to do. That work, it, it, we're not going to earn our way into heaven, but we're going to continue to carry out God's mission on this world. And you know, so maybe as you're evaluating the equipment that you have been provided for by the Lord, perhaps you're feeling a little bit ill-equipped. For some of the things that you've been facing in the recent days, weeks, or months. Perhaps you're feeling like your level of energy or the, the number of things that seem to keep going wrong or just your, your, the, the amount of money in your bank account is not sufficient for what is happening to you as you face the challenges of recent days. Well, what do you feel like you're running out of? What's running a little bit low in your inventory? Have you seriously considered to seek God's assistance and help? Have you asked the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm low on energy. I'm low on patience. Lord, I am out of perseverance. Lord, I, I just don't know that I have the emotional fortitude to keep going. Have you gone to the Lord and have you said, Lord, please fill back up what I feel like I'm running out of, right, when I'm running out of? And I think another good thing for us to do as, as God's mission achievers or as, as, as we walk through these missions is to think back on some of the past missions you've been on, some of the past ways that you've walked through this life with the Lord. What's been your past experience? What have you actually ever run out of? Or what have you brought with you that you didn't need? Friends, the reality is that God knows exactly what you and I need. And sometimes he'll equip us with things that don't make sense to us and we don't understand. But in one way, shape, or form, we will need that skill, ability, or thing to accomplish the work that God has for us. So let's look and see how Abraham's servant is going to accomplish the mission. He's taken the oath. He's been given the direction. He's been told what to do. 
Now we need to go out and do it. And again, we're going to see this in three different ways. First of all, in verses 10 through 28, chapter 24, he's going to find the woman that God has appointed for Isaac. He's going to then have to convince the family uh, that, that, hey, this is the work of the Lord. And then finally, he's going to have to get back to the land of Canaan with the woman to be able to present a wife to Isaac. So let's take a look. We're in verse number 10, chapter 24. We can see that the servant took off on 10 of his master's camels and he departed. Now in one verse, we're really kind of covering 500 miles in many days, probably in a caravan, 10 camels moving at normal speed, 23, 24 miles a day. And so this was a multi-day journey. This might have taken several weeks in order to cover the miles from the, the area around Hebron back to the Mesopotamia town of Haran. We're not really sure where the city of Nahor exactly is, but it's somewhere back in the land where Abraham was from. And we see that the servant arrives uh, at the end, you know, really at the end of verse 10. So at verse 11, he's outside the, he's outside the city of Nahor. He's at the well and the servant praise to the God of his master, and he, he, he realizes that this task is beyond him, and the only way that he is going to find the woman that is appointed by God is to ask God to help him. And so the servant prays. He says, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who also says, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one. Let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Notice what he didn't ask for. The miraculous burning bush, the voice from heaven. He didn't ask for a a powerful, miraculous sign. He asked for something that we would look at and say, well, that's circumstantial information. Uh, the, the, The women were coming out to the well. It was the right time of the day to be at the well. The women would have had jars. And, and what if it was an accident? What if it, what if it was the wrong person? What if this wasn't the person that God intended? The servant asked God to take care of those details, and we can see that God began to answer the servant's prayer even before he had finished speaking it. Verse 15, as he was speaking, Rebekah, who we know was a part of the family of Nahor, begins to come out to get water. The man realized that this might be, because of the timing, he had just finished praying, and now, boom, there's a young lady on sight. The servant begins to wonder if this is perhaps the woman that he was supposed to meet. So so we see him move quickly. She meets the basic criteria. She's a young woman. She's from Nahor's family. And he runs out. He's expecting God to answer his prayer. He runs up to her and he asks for a drink of water. And sure enough, she gives him a drink. And Rebecca also offers to water the camels as well. Now, we know that she uh, we, she had a jar. We don't know how big it was. We know that there was a well there. And we know that there were probably 10 camels, at least if they didn't lose one along the way. Uh, I looked on the interwebs and zoologists say that camels, a thirsty camel, can drink 53 gallons of water in three minutes. Now there's 10 camels. You can do the math and you can realize that this was not a significant Uh, This was not an insignificant amount of work that Rebecca had taken on. And you can see that in verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, 
He he let her keep going. The servant let her continue to go uh, until the camels were done drinking. And uh, the servant had realized that God had already provided. And even as he is asking her, uh, what family are you from? He's already giving her the ring and the bracelets, and he is praising God for what God has done. Uh, so, so this man knew from the confirming circumstances of, of the camel watering that this was the woman that God intended to be Isaac's wife. The passage, this little section ends with Rebecca running off. There's a lot of running that happens in this chapter. And, and when we run, when we see running, when we think about we're going to go run to tell somebody something, it's, it's a big deal. It's big news. We don't often do this today. We don't run to tell somebody something. You know, we, we get our phone out right away and, and we immediately are communicating through, you know, through instant messaging or some other mechanism. Hey, this amazing thing just happened or I just ran into so and so. When big events happen in, in, in this day and age, when you want the news to travel, you run. And so Rebecca ran back home to let her family know what had happened. There are big things that are afoot. And as we go into verse 24, we, could, we meet another member of the family. Uh, we meet Rebecca's brother named Laban, and he's running. He's running as well. Uh, he ran out to the man. He saw the costly gifts that were on Rebecca's nose, the nose ring and the bracelets, and he ran out to the servant. He invited the servant into their home, said, come stay with us, have a meal. And the servant agreed to go into the household, but as the food was prepared, as the food was laid out, the servant says, I need to tell you what I'm here for. I've got to tell you why I'm so excited, because the servant had already seen God working in miraculous, yet ordinary ways. And so he wanted to tell the whole story, the mission that Abraham sent him on, all the events that we've already read about. He's going to recount the events that that you and I have just read in verses 34 to 48. We're going to get the story again. And, and he, he, he wants us to see, the servant wants us to see as he recounts the story, the way that God superintended every single detail. And, and we get a little bit of additional information about the, about the nose ring, uh, but really this is a recounting from the servant's perspective of all the ways that God has cared for him and has provided for, uh, for this mission along the way. Finally, in verse 49, he puts the question before Laban and his dad, Bethuel, and he really says, what's your response? I've told you what God has done. I've told you the way that God has superintended my entire journey and the events at the well. What do you say to this? What do you say? Will you give Rebecca to Isaac as his wife? Will you let her return to Canaan with me? What do you say about what the Lord has done? And we see their response in verse 50. This thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. And so we see the response of the servant. I thought it was interesting, maybe not significant. Many times the servant has referred to the God of Abraham, the God of his master. In this situation, the servant bows down before the Lord in, in, a, in, a, in submitting himself uh, to worship and praising God for what he has done. Friends, I, I, would, I would suggest to you that the events of this chapter drew this servant 
into the family of the Lord. Perhaps prior to this, the God of the Bible, the God of heaven, the God of earth had been Abraham's God. But it really seems like as this servant got to experience the way that God answered his own prayers, the way that God answered Abraham's prayers, uh, the God of the Bible became the Lord of this man, the Lord of this servant. So as the uh, as the events of this little section wind down, we finally we get to dinner. The dinner meal is brought out. Gifts were given to Rebecca's family. Food was eaten, and everyone goes to sleep. The final challenge that begins in fifty four B for the servant of Abraham is to get home. Somehow he needs to be able to leave Mesopotamia and get home again. Although the family had indicated willingness and readiness in, in verse fifty to let Re- Rebecca go, we find the next day. They're saying, well, let's let her stay a while. Let's take 10 days. Let's think about it. Let's think it over. Let's make sure this is really what we want to do. The servant says, I'm ready to go. Let me go back to my master so I can tell him the great ways that God has provided for Isaac. The servant was ready to go. He had, he had just completed a 500-mile journey, and he was ready after one night to start heading back. And uh, we see that that ultimately there's a there's a disagreement. The servant wants to go. The family wants him to stay, and they say, "Let's ask Rebecca. Let's find out what Rebecca wants to do." And we see that Rebecca says, "I'm willing to go, and I'm willing to go now." And so they pack up and they give her a blessing. And this is in verse sixty. This is very similar to some of the words that God spoke to Abraham. Oh, sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. And may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Very much like the words that God spoke to Abraham uh, after he offered his son on Mount Moriah. And so we we look at the, the journey home has begun. Uh, again, there was no way for the servant to report back to, to either Isaac or Abraham that he was successful. Uh, certainly, you know, they were expecting him to return, but we can see that God has one more event that he wants to superintend. Uh, as they're riding back, we see that Isaac was out in a field. He was meditating, and it just happened to be that he was in the right field at the right time, that as the camels sort of came over the horizon, he saw them, he went out to them, he met Rebecca. Uh, he met Rebecca, he was the first person to learn of the success of the servant in the land of Mesopotamia. So again, just another way that God is saying, not only have I prepared Rebecca and her family for her departure, but I've also prepared Isaac and his heart for her arrival. And they meet in this field, and we can see how the passage ends. In 67, Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother. He took Rebecca, she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Friends, the principle for these last verses, this last section, is that there are no impossible missions with God. There are no impossible missions with God. Now, the the actor Tom Cruise has given us insight into what it looks like to complete impossible missions, or perhaps missions that are just really difficult. It involves car chases and hanging off of airplanes and hanging off of helicopters and things exploding behind you as you walk away. We've we've been given sort of a cinematic experience of, of the excitement and the action and the power that can come from trying to accomplish an impossible mission. 
Now, there are certainly parts of the Bible that would lend themselves into the plot or the story of an action film. This is probably not one of them. Uh, the action that's here is really the invisible hand of the Lord, uh, orchestrating events, bringing things together in such a way that as we look at the as we look at the experience, as we look at the story, the only thing we can say is that God's hand was at work. Uh, there's not anything dramatic that's happening. It's the quiet events, the normal events of life that God has used to bring about his plan. And I don't know about your life, but my life looks a lot more like Genesis 24 than it looks like the Impossible Mission film series that Tom Cruise is in. And, and the reality is, is that much of our experience in following the Lord is going to look like this. Faith in what God has called us to do, prayer, looking at circumstances and, and trying to confirm them with scripture and with what God has spoken, patience, trusting God to, to carry out what he has promised. That's, that's what was in Genesis 24. And that's our experience as well. And so perhaps you do have events in your life that feel impossible. Perhaps it's situations at work or a desire for you to have members of your family come to know more about Jesus. Perhaps it's relational challenges. Perhaps it's challenges in your church. But we have situations where it can feel impossible. And what we would love is the big wow, the miraculous Shazam to come in and just solve it. We would love to have the burning bush or the voice of the Lord or this amazing thing that would happen that would totally reverse the situation. But friends, many times the way that God works is through everyday circumstances, the slow change of, of, of the hearts of this people, the slow process of sanctification. Um, God might be working. How might God be working through some of your everyday events? to bring about the completion of that impossible mission in your life. And, and I think the servant provides us with a great example of how we should respond to God. The servant, in, in these verses, the servant is praising God many times for the, for the things that he has done, for the things that God has done. The servant is bringing praise to God and saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing me to this point in the journey. Thank you for bringing me to this next through this next challenge. Well, I mentioned at the beginning of the of the lecture that the aim is that God works through the everyday events of his people. And certainly in our in our culture today, in the news today, there's a lot of loud proclamation of ideas and beliefs and events uh, that that people are doing to get across their points and to get across their ideology and to, you know, to get, to get there to accomplish their mission. There's a lot of loudness that's happening. And, and, and friends, the reality is, is that God certainly can work through great deeds. And, and he's done that throughout history. He's done that throughout the pages of scripture. But oftentimes God's work is quiet. There's a quiet steadiness to God's work in our lives and in our hearts. Uh, I'm reminded of Paul's words to the church in Thessalonica, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands. Friends, God can work through big stuff. But often God works through the little events, the little things of our lives. Will you and I look for the ways that he's working and will we trust him to accomplish great things through the small minutia of our lives? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder in this passage that uh, your sovereignty extends to all things big and small. Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to 
look for the big events of history. Be excited about the big things that you're going to yet do. You've promised to return, and we're not going to miss it. But Lord, until then, I pray that you would help us to look at the small events and the small ways that you are working to carry out your plan through our lives. Thank you for involving us. Help us to see what you're doing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.